Sunday morning extras usually, you know, if we have something going on in the life of the body that isn't really related to everything, it's just kind of a different thing that we need to communicate around, and we do that at the beginning of the, the service. Well, the thing today is that the Sunday morning extras is very much related to uh, what's going on in the service today. We're uh, talking about a new position in the church, prayer facilitator, and uh, we decided to to keep that connected to the message today, our Sunday morning extras. And the reason why is because the Sunday morning extras itself, just talking about leading up to why we're doing this position, is like half of the sermon. And so it's like, you know, at the first service, we started off with our Sunday morning extras, and I talked for like 10, 15 minutes, and I warned them ahead of time because I knew everyone was going to be like, oh my goodness, if the Sunday morning extras is taking this long, we're going to get crushed in this service. But we couldn't do that in here because the kids would have had to sit through it. So... We're uh, bringing our, uh, having our Sunday morning extras right before the sermon, but it's all kind of part of the same thing. Anyway, we're talking about prayer. So let's start off praying. God, you're so good. And uh, prayer, we know, is a wonderful gift for us. And we don't know it enough yet, but we know it is. And we ask that today you would teach us just how wonderful of a gift it is. In Jesus' name, amen. A church that depends on great talent, on good preaching, on good music. A church that depends on running the right programs and that has all the right knowledge, reads the right books, you know, has the right kind of leadership. A a church that, that leans and depends on all of that stuff. At its very best, at the end, what it will reveal is the capabilities of mankind. Like a good business or something of that nature. But a church that learns to lean on God through prayer has an ability to reveal things beyond human capacity. A church that begins to lean on God through prayer recognizes that the purpose of the church is not to reveal or glorify mankind, but to reveal and glorify God. And so we at Parker Ford Church believe that prayer is the foundation that prayer is the primary practice of the church, that what our first call is action-wise is to prayer. It's primary value for us, prayer. David was completely aware of this. In Psalm 127, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, its laborer builds in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen who stand guard, they do it in vain. He says, in vain you rise up early, in vain you stay up late, because it's the Lord who grants sleep to those who he loves. One of the things that David recognizes, we can and we should work with everything inside of us to do everything that God's called us to. But the bottom line is, is when it comes to his house, it's got to be about his power and his work. And so we need to learn to depend on him in prayer. That was right before the temple was built. The temple was built, it became the house of prayer, and then they turned their backs on God, and they stopped depending on God, and they stopped praying, and soon enough, the enemies came in and destroyed the temple, and the temple was gone. Eventually, people turned back to prayer when they were in exile, away from God, and they prayed and repented, and God said that he was going to establish a new temple, a new house of prayer, and he was going to bring them back. And when God begins to speak about the fact that he's going to build this house, Zechariah, one of the prophets, begins, he quotes God, and this is what he says. This is in the book of Zechariah. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When speaking about how he's going to build this this new temple. It's not going to be built by might. It's not going to be built by power. It's going to be built by the Spirit of God, by the strength of God. Sure, men and women, they're going to put stones on top of each other, you know, and they're going to plaster and they're going to do whatever they need to do. But the only way this thing's really going to be what it's going to be is because of the Spirit of the living God working. So a few hundred years later, Jesus comes to this temple the same temple that was prophesied about. And it's Palm Sunday, and he's riding in on his donkey, and there's a bunch of kids who are saying, Hosanna, glory to, uh, glory to the Messiah. And you know, they, he comes in, he gets off his donkey, and he walks into the temple. If there's one place in all of the world where Jesus should have been recognized, it's in the temple. This is the place where you pray, where you communicate with the living God, and here comes the living God walking in the flesh into his house, the temple. And yet when he walks in, goes completely unrecognized, until he begins to remind them of the primary purpose of God's house. He 
He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you've made it into a den of thieves. Everybody's out for their own agenda, working their own way, you know, going their own direction, trying to get their own thing, working out of their own power. But my house is to be a house of prayer, he reminds them. And he goes to cleanse the temple. In 1 Peter, all the way toward the end of the New Testament, we're told that we also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to look around at the walls. Can you see those blocks? See the lines that form the cement blocks? When I went over to Israel, there were stones at the base of the temple that were the size of like from this beam to this beam up to that beam up there, that whole thing, one stone. I don't know how in the world they, that's, it's one of these huge wonders. How in the world did they get that stone there? You know, how did they do that without the technology? You know, big, boggling, huge stones. But what he says to us is in the new spiritual house, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and if the priesthood lives within and dwells and serves within this holy temple, what is our job? It is to offer prayer. We are a house of prayer. If there is one action that identifies the church, if there is one discipline that all of us should be engaged in, that we all hold in common, it's this one thing. We are people of prayer. People who depend on God. And we verbalize that through prayer. And as a holy priesthood, we recognize that prayer is not just for us. Our responsibility is to come on behalf of those around us and to pray for our family, to pray for our neighborhoods, to pray for our workplaces, to pray that God will be present in the lives of those who we know who he has placed us in proximity with. That's our call. It's our job. It's what the church is. It's who we are. A spiritual house, a temple, a holy priesthood called to pray, to unleash the power of God on earth. Well, there's a few churches that have done a great job of this and that we can kind of look at as models. One of them is the biggest church in the world. Biggest church, anybody know what the biggest church in the world is? It's called Yoyota Full Gospel Church. Yoyota Full Gospel Church. Anybody know where it's located? Yeah. South Korea. Yeah, South Korea. And how many people do you think are in the largest church in the world? There's a million people in it. As of 2007, there was a million people and it was still growing. A million people in this church. It's crazy, isn't it? How in the world do you do church when you've got a million people going? You know, I don't, I don't know how that works, but the thing is, this is one of those, this church, there's so much going on on a, on a spiritual level, and, and people are so much wanting to connect with God through this church that what's happening, they, they have services like around the clock. There's always worship services going because their facility the, the place where they meet it only has 12 it can only seat 12,000 people and you got a million people so they you can go like i think it's twice a month you can sign up to go to a you, you get assigned a service you just get here's when you can go to church okay this time and it, it's like you know midnight on thursday in the middle of the month that's when you can go to church if you want to come because they have no other way of doing it because people want so much to be going to church. And there's all these services and they're constantly having these services. Well, my parents went to visit this church when they were over there. And they go and they, they get a tour through the church and the, the people take them down this elevator and they take them into this room and they look in and there's all these people. But they're like, you know what? We thought it would be a lot bigger than this, but that's a lot of people. And they're like, oh no, this isn't the church service. This is the prayer meeting for the church service. And there's just this whole room full of people just praying for the service. And Pastor Cho, the pastor there, he says that every ounce of what's happened in that church has happened entirely for one reason, because God has been at work and the people have been asking God to move in their church. And when they've asked him to move, he has. Prayer. John Bunyan's the author of... Uh, 
of uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the famous author. And he says this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But until you pray, you can't do anything more than prayer. It's the, it's the greatest capacity that we have. It's the greatest place. There's another one, E.M. Bounds. I'm going to be quoting a lot of people today because prayer, since it's the foundation, foundational practice, there's people all throughout history who have been uh, you know, working at prayer, and it's important for us to build on the foundation. Since we as living stones are being built into a spiritual house, we build on the foundation of others. E.M. Bounds during the Civil War says this, The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Of course, it's women too. But God isn't looking simply for better productivity or better machinery. He's looking for prayer. Another church that, uh, well, you know what? There's one other thing I want to say about that before we move on to another church is that uh, one of my favorite books to read our kids um, for years has been the, uh, the, the Little Engine That Could. Thomas the Train, the Little Engine That Could. Little Engine That Could is the one, I, I loved reading it. And one of the reasons I loved it is because the artwork in that book is phenomenal. You know, the old school art, it's just amazing. But there's this thing about determination in there, you know. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And we're learned always, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's what we're taught. And it's true. We need to learn to be determined and to not give up and to push through. But when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to the work of the church, we have to be very careful because we have to be every bit as determined and we have to work with everything inside of us to be good stewards of what God has given us. And yet our motto shouldn't be, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Our our motto should be, if at first you don't succeed, pray, pray again. Because our primary work, our primary work of determination needs to be to pray. Because what we're trying to unleash through the church is not the power of our talents. It's the power of God. We need God. If we didn't need God, then we don't need church. Then we can just fix it on our own. The point of church is that it's God's. One church that recognizes this and has built their ministry around it is Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, if you've ever heard of the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, if you haven't heard of it, you should really read the, the, the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Uh, it's in the, um, you know, the personal practices manual that, that we created that we have out there. If you, if you have a hold of this, in a guide to prayer, um, one of the resources we recommend is Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's the story of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. And what they, rec- they recognize in there how God can move and transform in people's lives. One of the amazing things about this church is that Many people have heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church and not many people have heard of the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. It's not one of these churches that's built around the pastor, you know, where every, like, everyone's drawn just because of this pastor. There's, it's an understanding this is a movement of God and we're built around God. And the pastor is funny. He's not a real good speaker and he, he's not a, a great communicator. He's not dynamic by any stretch. And when he came to the church, there was just a few people left at the church, but he felt called to this church, so they started praying. And they just would have these prayer meetings. And they keep praying that God would do something in the church. That these people in Brooklyn who are in so much hurt and so much pain, that God would begin to transform their lives. And next thing you know, God started moving. And all sorts of things started happening in the church. And now, the most amazing thing that happens in this church, you go to this huge theater in in, uh, Brooklyn. This huge old theater that they've rehabbed and turned into a church. And when you go on a Tuesday night at their prayer meeting, you come to their prayer meeting on Tuesday night and it's packed. The whole place is packed. And there's thousands of people showing up on Tuesday night for a prayer meeting because the church has been built on prayer. And you hear all these stories about prostitutes who are, who are great women of God now who are praying for the church. You hear about these thugs who are, who are deacons and elders in the church, you know, who God has just grabbed a hold of their life and transformed them. And when you trace it back, you can't point back to where some person changed someone's life. All you can say is that God grabbed a hold of this person's life and he transformed them. Because they understood that if we want God to truly work, then we need to depend on Him. And so we need to start our ministry in prayer. Josh and I went to uh, Moody Bible Institute. That's where we met. Uh, um, my first year meeting Josh was like the worst year of my life. No, I'm just... 
I love you, man. It's gotten worse ever since. No. Uh, Josh, and I, Josh was my roommate. When I showed up my freshman year, he was already there. He was a sophomore. And, uh, and we were at Moody Bible Institute. But the, the school, it, it's also where I met my wife. So, you know, that's, uh, that's the good news. And um, I love you, bro. <laughs> it's just going to get worse, too. Like, Josh is in for a beating this morning. I don't know why. Um, so we went, to, we went to Moody, and the, the namesake of the school is uh, Dwight L. Moody, who was a, an evangelist and uh, was involved in great revival. Many, many people stepped into their relationship with God through hearing the preaching of this evangelist, Dwight, Dwight Moody. And he says this, when speaking about revival and God's movement, this is a quote from Dwight Moody. He says, every great movement of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Everywhere you look to see a movement of God, it gets traced back to a kneeling figure. There's this other guy, uh, Edwin Orr. He's a, he's a seminary, he was a seminary professor out of Fuller Seminary, and he studies great movements of God and how God transforms people's lives and transforms communities. And this is what he says. The church, oh no wait, uh, history is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. History is completely silent about revivals that didn't begin with prayer. One other quote I want to give you, a guy who was really instrumental in the YMCA and World Student Christian Fellowship. He was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. His name is John Mott, and this is what he says after all of his accomplishments. He says this, The church has not yet touched the fringe of the possibilities of intercessory prayer. Her largest victories will be witnessed when individual Christians everywhere come to recognize their priesthood unto God and day by day give themselves to prayer. See, this is what... This is what we believe and what the Bible teaches is that our call is to be prayer warriors. Our call is to be priests for the world around us. And that if we want to see God move and if we want to see his power work all around us, then each one of us has a call from Scripture. Each one of us in First Peter, we like living stones are being built into a spiritual house so that as a holy priesthood we can offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable through Jesus Christ our Lord. That means our call as Christians, each one of us, is to pray that God will move in our circumstances. When we hold on to that and when we begin to pray with that, then God has the ability to transform the world around us. One other church I want to tell you about, and then we'll, we'll move on from this topic, uh, is, is, uh, it's called uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle and also in England. And the preacher who was preaching at that church for a long time was known by his peers as the Prince of Preachers. Anybody got a guess? We resident uh, British friends. Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, yes. So uh, Charles Spurgeon, known as one of the greatest preachers in the modern era. Charles Spurgeon every Sunday would kick out these sermons that would just blow you away and they were so packed with the truth of God. And you're just like, oh my goodness, Sunday after Sunday when you read his sermons, when you listen, it's amazing the truth that was flowing. And when someone would come to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to see it and they would ask him, how in the world do you, do you preach these sermons over and over again? He would take them downstairs to the basement where they had people praying all around the clock in this prayer room. And he'd point in the room and he'd say, right there is the powerhouse of this church. And he didn't mean powerhouse like LeBron James, powerhouse of the NBA or something like that. Powerhouse like Limerick Generating Station over here, you know, the smokestacks, the, the cooling towers, the producing power so that these lights can work. He's saying, if you sense the light of God in my preaching, it happens for one reason, because these guys are praying. That's where it comes from. Each Sunday, when I'm preaching here, if I'm preaching, Josh is back there praying. It's one of the things we believe in here, is that we've got to pray if we want God to move. And we don't want to just move, we want God to move. Because at the end of the day, it's got to be His. Charles Spurgeon, that guy, he says, he says this one thing, or he said this one thing. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. We believe in prayer at Park Ford Church. We always have. Those of you who are around during the building project here, can, don't ask someone about what God did during the building project of this place unless you've got time. 
because they're just going to, they'll be start praising all God. It's amazing. I tell you all these things. And so you better have time if you're going to ask how God showed up in, in putting this church together and in this whole replant process and all this stuff. God's just been moving in phenomenal ways. So if you're going to ask that question, make sure you have time. But we believed in the value of prayer. On Sunday nights, we have a prayer service here. On Thursdays uh, in the afternoon or in the morning, there's a prayer, uh, a prayer group that meets over here to pray over all the prayer requests. When you walk in, in the bulletin here, I'm going to grab this for a sec. In the bulletin here, you know, there's a, if you're a visitor, there's a place to fill out your visitor information, but there's also prayer requests on the back. And you turn that in, and the pastors pray over it. The prayer group prays over it. Uh, we have a prayer chain that's in place that if you have a special need and you want prayer, you get a hold of Jen and she'll send it around to a bunch of people who will pray for it. Betty Holland, Betty Holland back here runs our email prayer list and she, when people have something going on, she'll email everyone and, and we believe in prayer. We believe in prayer and we have for a while, but there's new things in prayer that we believe God's calling us to. The first thing is that uh, we're going to be creating a space. Uh, Bob Phobia, uh, not here with us today, but he came and approached me. He heads the, uh, he's the cub master of our Cub Scout pack here. And he came to me one day and he's like, look, we're looking for a service project to do as Cub Scouts. And he's like, I was thinking we need a spot around here where you can kind of like go and just meditate with God, get alone with God, like a be still and know that I am God's spot. And so he's like, what do you think about you guys kind of figure out the way you want to do it, let us know, and then Cub Scouts and, and some Boy Scout, uh, Eagle Scout projects and stuff like that, we'll figure out how to make it happen. And so right now the trustees have a team of people together who are working at, at creating a place, that, designing a place where we can go and meditate. But that's to get us to helpful tools in prayer. One of the things that we believe about prayer, though, is this, and this leads us to the, the culminating point about our Sunday extras, is that sometimes prayer can be so much about our own stuff that we don't get the big picture of what God's trying to do with our church. And we need to have some focus. Uh, and there's another quote here that would help us with it. It was uh, Spurgeon, uh, no wait, who is it? I don't have an... Yeah, it was Spurgeon again. But what he said is he said something to this effect. He said, if you have a whole army or, or a whole platoon of people and they all get out their, their guns and, you know, they're in a war and they go and they shoot and you say, like, you know, ready, aim, fire, but everyone just kind of fires wherever, then chances are you're not going to be very effective in hitting anything. You might hit something, but who knows what you're actually going to hit. But if there's direction and if there's guided prayer, then you can actually accomplish something. And in the scriptures, you see uh, leaders who are constantly praying for their people, but then you also see a groundswell from congregations, from nations, when people decide, we need God again. And as a people, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God would move in the direction he's calling us to move. In 2 Samuel, there's a great example of the Ark of the Covenant had been taken away from the people of Israel, and it gets brought back in, and, and they're repenting and praying and crying and, and uh, Samuel comes and he's praying for the people and then the people come before God and it says that they draw water out from wells and then they start dumping the water out in front of God. And it's a symbol of the people saying, we just want to pour our hearts out to you, God. Whatever, it's all yours. If you were here a couple months ago, we had a 24-hour prayer event where this sanctuary was set up, not just this sanctuary, this building was set up all around different stations. We prayed for the youth. We prayed for the education. Come in here and there was like this like candle altar thing set up where we were writing things that we were going to surrender to God. There was all sorts of different stations of things we were praying for and we were guided symbolically together into prayer. And we need to be a people who get more and more of this. We're together. We get behind something and say, we believe this is what God's calling us to. And symbolically, we're pouring our hearts out to God. And uh, that happened. Christine Wonder and Jen Yeager and George Ann Zvodar helped organize that thing. George Ann has also, uh, with Jen and Shelby, every Thursday or Saturday morning, they go to different spots around the area and they'll pray over different neighborhoods and different churches and different things and ask God to be moving. And we've seen uh, George Ann as a person who's been really... Uh, taking this, uh, using her gifts to take this mandate for prayer very seriously. And the church board 
has unanimously and happily uh, voted to create a new position in our church called Prayer Facilitator, where we organize prayer, certain uh, events, certain kinds of prayer will be organized in order to support and push forward the ministry that God has here at Parker Ford Church to, to provide protection for what God's doing, provide powerhouse for what God's doing. And so George Ann's Vodar, we've asked to, to take that position as a prayer facilitator. And so all of that was to tell you that when George Ann says, we're going to have a prayer event, we got to get involved in the prayer event. It's important that we do. It's essential that we do. It's absolutely center that we get involved in, the, in, in prayer together as a church. It's really, really important. If you have a personal prayer request, contact Jen or Betty Holland. It'll get on the prayer chain and it'll go out. If you have something you sense is going on with the church, we're like, I have this burden for this thing at church and we need to pray about it as a church, talk to George Ann. Give her some information. One of the things she's going to start by doing is organizing prayer teams to pray during the services. And, and so uh, that's going to be uh, one of the things that she's going to start off doing. Georgian, can you come up here? We're going to have uh, anybody who's a part of the church board or an elder of the church can come up right now, and we're going to pray over Georgian um, and, as we release her into this position of prayer facilitator. So that's if you're a deacon or uh, you're a part of the church board, you can feel free to come up if you like. And Josh is going to lead us in prayer. God, you've called us to uh, believe you. You've stated things and you've asked us to buy them, and, and they're not... They're not easy for us. They're, they're sometimes very, very challenging. But among the most difficult things that we find to trust you on is whether you actually respond when we talk, when we communicate with you. And so, Lord, as a church, we've decided on this course of action to kind of create a spearhead person, a position. Um, and we ask that you would lead George Ann as she fills that spot and as she guides and as she listens to you and as she organizes us so that we can, as a community of people, communicate with you. Lord, we pray that there would be an understanding easily had within our, within our body, within each person, that this is a way for us to, as a community, not just, not just seek your power, but to seek your direction and your counsel. We want to be a church led by the living God, not a church led by pastors or elders or a church board, but a church focused on your will and your call. And so we pray that this ministry of prayer would be the driving force, that it would, that it would give birth to, to the power that heals inside of church and transforms, but that it would also uh, lead and guide us as we move forward. Thank you for Georgianne. Thank you for her gifts and her talents. Thank you for the fact that you've been working in her, not just for a year or two here at Parker Ford Church, but over, over her life, Lord, blessing her with wisdom and understanding. Thank you for Dave and for their family and for Kevin. We ask that you protect and guide them and that you would anoint her especially to this calling and that you would bless her with the opportunity to truly uh, change what, what the direction of Parker Ford Church is according to your call, that we would walk closer with you because of this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know that pastor in Korea? I was talking about Pastor Cho. It, he, it's funny. Like, he, he has a million people in his church, you know? So he has his hands full. And uh, people always ask him, people were asking him consistently, how in the world... Um, he, he's, people know that he spends the first couple hours of his every morning praying. And they're like, how in the world do you get that time to pray when you have so much to do? And he always says, how in the world would I be able to get done anything that I'm supposed to do unless I first pray? Because I got way too much humanly possible to do. I need the, the power of God at work. And, and Spurgeon says this. He says, if, if your faith does not make you pray, have nothing to do with it. Get rid of it. And God help thee to begin again. <laughs> So if, if, we have, if we say we have faith, but it doesn't lead us to pray, that's not really faith because we're not trusting God. We're still doing our own thing. You know, it's got to lead us to prayer. That's dependence on God. So uh, 
We've talked over and over again about how we pursue God here at Parker Ford Church in three primary directions. What are the directions we pursue God? Up, in, and out, right? Up, in, and out. And we pursue God up spiritually. And we, talk, we had that spiritual toolbox up here, remember, the tool bench where we talked about all the different tools of faith that he gives us. And we paralleled that with the personal practices in pursuit of God. If you're looking to build the relationship with God, this is the, the, the kind of handbook we have to help out along this with the spiritual disciplines. Personal practices in pursuit of God. If you don't have this yet and you want one of these, come talk to Josh Rye and we'll see that you get one. Or Matt. Matt, you here? Matt just stepped out for a minute, didn't he? I, I get him like that every time. Everybody make fun of Matt for not being here when I <laughs> said something. Um, so uh, get a hold of this. The first thing in the personal practices in pursuit of God is when we pursue God up, when we pursue him spiritually and, and directly, the first thing is prayer. Prayer and worship are the two we have in here. And, um, and those disciplines uh, are, uh, are absolutely essential to our spiritual life. Now, um, as we were talking about uh, what to do, we knew we were doing prayer today, and we only have a couple minutes left, but as Josh and I were talking about how to go after prayer today and how to talk about prayer, we, we said, what are the things that keep us from praying to the fullness of what we could? And as always, the enemy always deceives us and gives us a few lies. And when he gives us a few lies, it keeps us off track from really believing the truth about something and living in it. And so we wanted to talk, uh, we, Josh and I kind of brainstormed around what are the, the lies that we believe in uh, around prayer that keep us from, uh, from moving forward in it. But before I finish telling you about that, uh, we're going to have seventh inning stretch and read our text for today. Um, and it's seventh inning. Don't worry, it's seventh inning. <laughs> Stand up. We're going to read from uh, our text for today, which is the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to read it. I know we could all say this together, but I'm just going to read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. By the way, when you come in here, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, there's red Bibles. The red books are Bibles. So um, Blue ones are not Bibles. Red ones are Bibles. And if you... Uh, it's always... What, when we, we talk about pursuing God up, in, and out, and in the inside has to do with Scripture, and so learning to digest the Scriptures is an important part of that process. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, grab one of those red ones. And if you don't have one at all, take it home with you and, and read it. Um, okay, let's see. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can all say the other part of it together. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can have a seat. Three categories of lies that we felt are out there about prayer. We talked about all sorts of lies that we believe about prayer. One is that God doesn't really like me. So, you know, like I'm not very likable with God, so it's not easy to communicate with God. Why communicate with him? I'm kind of like not up to par with God. So we kind of keep our distance from God. I'm not worthy. He doesn't really like me. Second thing is that he doesn't care whether I submit my life to him. God's got his own thing going on and I got my own thing going on and he doesn't really care that much what happens to mine. So I don't need to know everything that God has for my life. It doesn't matter whether I submit it or not. And also a lie. But there's a third lie and this is what I want to focus on today um, for our last few minutes here is that prayer is about getting my will. It's about coming to God telling him what I want so that I can get it. It's about getting my will. Complete and total lie. How do we know it's a lie? Because Jesus just taught us how to pray in this passage. And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Thy will be done. It's about his will, not about ours. Now, are we supposed to bring our concerns to God? 
Absolutely. Cast your cares upon me. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That we, we are supposed to be dumping our stuff on God. There's no question about it. We're supposed to be communicating like crazy with God, telling him all the stuff that we got going on. But prayer is not primarily about me getting what I want. It's not about me getting my will. The truth is, is it's about God getting his. Self-focused and personal prayers, prayers that are about me and my needs, they only become effective and powerful when they're first submitted to a different kind of prayer, when they're built on the foundation of another kind of prayer, and when they're under the umbrella of another kind of prayer. And that prayer is not self-focused prayer. It's God-focused prayer. It's not prayer that has me at the center of my world and my universe, but it's prayer that has Him at the center of it. It's prayer that isn't first about what I want or what I need or what will make me comfortable. It's prayer that is based on what he wants, on what he needs, and on what he says is important. And when I reshift my mind, everything starts to change. Everything starts to change. And that's why Jesus gives us the example in this Lord's Prayer. See, what happens is, is this Lord's Prayer, it's not just kind of some random prayer. He takes every ounce of prayer that's all throughout the Scriptures. You can pick any passage on prayer, and you can make all these great points about it. But if you take all the passages of prayer in the entire Scripture, all the Bible, and you summarize them all up, in just a couple verses, Jesus does it all in this one little spot. He's so good. (laughs) He's really, really good. And... So he takes all the principles of prayer and he packs them into this one little prayer and he puts them in order and the order is very important. Very, very important how he starts this prayer. Watch what he does. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let me tell you what this is. This is complete refocusing prayer. This is recentering prayer. This is prayer that brings us back to a humble spot. It's like a kid who has all these big concerns, right? Ah, I couldn't get my Legos to fit or, you know, this thing's not working and they're all frustrated and then they get close to mom and dad and realize mom and dad are just way above whatever the trivial situation that they have is and all of a sudden it doesn't matter anymore. And it's like just being in the presence of mom and dad could change the situation. Like if a kid was afraid of a certain circumstance, like they're alone in a store, You know, because they got lost and they could cry out, I need to know where I am. I don't know where I am. But as soon as they see mom and dad, they don't care where they are anymore. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What this does is it says, you're in charge. You are the Holy One. You are the primary one. And as soon as my life refocuses and instead now of seeing myself as the one in charge... And, and, and I see you as the one in charge, instead of thinking of you as one who doesn't care or one who doesn't see me or anything like that, I realize you're in charge. You see me. You're right here. You care. And you're almighty. And when I get that focus again, half of the requests that I would have brought to God are irrelevant now. Because the only reason I was concerned about them in the first place is because I thought I was in control. Because I always thought I was the one who needed to get it done. So I might be frantic about the situation of my life. Oh man, you know, this needs to happen and this needs to happen. And then I have this encounter with God. Where all of a sudden I experience Him and I know He's there. And all the things I was concerned about, I don't even care anymore. This is the memo that Peter missed on the Mount of Transfiguration. What happened, Peter gets taken up to the mountain. And with, with Peter, James, and John get taken up to the mountain with Jesus. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up from thousands of years before or whatever, and these guys just show up. I mean, talk about weird. And then God is there from heaven. And Peter gets all worked up and concerned, and he's like, oh, Moses and Elijah are here. We've got to build a house for these guys, and we've got to do this and that. And finally, God booms out, and he says, this is my son in who I am well pleased. See, what happens is, is he reminds Peter, You're forgetting that I'm right here and I have everything under control. You want to do this and you want to do that and you're getting all frantic, remember who's in control. And when you do, everything else stops mattering and it gets put back in perspective. One time, um, this is a long time ago, 
I, I was really uh, being guided through the scriptures, through a number of different reasons to, to step out in faith in a certain situation in our life that caused financial risk of big proportion. And I wasn't getting, I, I was without a job. And we were okay. Financially, we were doing okay. But we were really, really nervous. This was right after Jen and I were married. And we were very, very nervous about what was going on. Lots of anxiety. Did we really make the right decision? Is this what we were supposed to do? And we knew in our spirit, we knew this is what God was calling us to, but we're still struggling to come to terms with it and have faith about it. And I remember we got a check. Someone gave us a check for $8,000. And what's amazing is when we got this check for $8,000, $8,000 is not what we needed. As a matter of fact, money wasn't even what we needed. All we needed to know was that God was in control. And when we saw that money, I started laughing. I had been so nervous. And you know how like if someone's really upset about something and they get a good cry out, it can like help them? It was, it, for me, it wasn't a cry. I needed to laugh. Like I was just like, oh my gosh, like I am so tense right now. And I just need to remember God is in control. And he dropped eight grand on us. And I just started belly laughing. And I laughed for like five minutes. Like I am hilarious if I think I'm in control of my life. It is absolutely hysterical. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The next week, we had a buddy who was, uh, some of you might know here. Uh, he used to come to church here years ago. Um, and he was shooting a video over in Chad, Africa, and he got himself in some real deep trouble uh, physically. He got, got an ulcer way out in the middle of the jungle, and he got sick, and they had to hell of him out and all this stuff, and he had all these medical bills that equated to eight grand at the end of it, and he had no idea how he could pay for it, and he was working for these missionaries at the time. We're like, hey, we got eight grand. Here you go. That wasn't our money. It was God's money. We didn't even need it. We just needed to know he was in control. We didn't need the money. We needed to know he was in control. If we had prayed for money, we would have been praying for the wrong thing. We need to pray to know God, our Father, who art in heaven, who sees the whole picture, who's not just my dad, but is everybody's dad, our dad. You're my protector. You're my provider. You're the one who cares about me. You're the one who watches over me. You're the one who gives everything to me. Our dad, the one who's in charge. When I remember again, all of a sudden, my concerns just seem so trivial. They don't matter anymore. All I needed to know was that my father, who can see the whole thing from heaven, that he's there and he sees me and it's all good. Whatever I was coming to you about, you know what, forget it. I don't even need it anymore. That's all I needed was to know you were there. I don't even need it anymore. I don't care. I just need you, our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Then thy kingdom come and thy will be done. This is like some business is making a, they got to make a 20% cut on their budget. Whole business, got to make a 20% cut on the budget. And I head up a department, and I come into the budget meeting, and I come in trying to get a 15% increase on my corner of the budget while they're trying to cut 20%. This is the way it comes oftentimes in our prayer with God. Thy will is here. Our will is over here. I come in with my prayer request to God, and there's all these scriptures that talk about, like, you know, if you ask in my name, then you will have anything you ask for. And so we come and pray to God, and then we don't see the answer to prayer, and we're like, what's going on? Because thy will be done has to come first. And so what that means is, is here's the umbrella. Here's what God wants to accomplish. And if my prayer doesn't first say, what do you want to do? Then chances are, what I want is completely going another direction and isn't fitting in with what he actually wants to accomplish. And so what I have to do is, there you are, holy is your name. And then, God, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What do you want to do? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when my heart and my mind get focused on what you're trying to accomplish in this world, then again, the stuff that I was going to ask for, all of a sudden it kind of starts to seem silly. A lot of the stuff that I was going to ask for, like, you know, these material things that really, you know, I just really wanted this thing, or I just want this sense of comfortability and feeling of security. And, and God's like, I'm trying to get you out of comfortability. 
I'm trying to get you out of that feeling of being secure in the wrong things. Don't pray for that kind of comfort. Don't pray for that kind of security. You're praying against my will. I can't answer that. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He's trying to transform our lives and transform our world. And if we get on the page with him where we're like, what we really want, God, is we want to be on board with you. We want to see you change our lives. And we want to see you change the things around us. Then, and only then, do our prayers become focused and effective. And can we be confident when we ask God for something? Andrew Murray says this, And there you have the reason why so many people pray for the power of the Holy Ghost and they get something but oh so little because they prayed for power for work and power for blessing, but they have not prayed for the power for full deliverance from themselves. The power of God is unleashed in us when we begin to release our own stuff and identify with the living God. And once we know that he's there and dad's in control, and once we care more about what he's going to accomplish than what it is that we want, then we're at a place where we can say, give us this day our daily bread. Because if you want me to live for your kingdom, I get it, you're here and you're providing for me. And I want to accomplish what it is that you have for me to accomplish. Now there are a few things that I'm going to need, God. You know, I, I need daily bread. And now I'm looking for your grace and your mercy to manifest in my life. So here at Parker Ford Church, let me take you through a prayer for something that's deep on my heart. I have a deep concern for the youth of our church, for the teenagers of our church. We don't have a thriving youth group. We don't have a whole lot going on. We have a good Sunday school class for youth, and we have some events here and there. But there's a lot going on in teenagers' lives right now. And we want... God to be able to bless the teenagers of our church and help them grow. So this is how I want us to pray for our teenagers. Close your eyes with me and let's pray. Father, our Father, not just my dad, but all of our dads. Not just the pastor's dads, not just the pastor's Father, not just the elder's father, not just the deacon's father, not just the church board's father, not just Parker Ford Church's father, all of our fathers. And especially right now, we recognize that you are the father of the youth of this congregation. Our father, who loves the youth of this congregation. You are in heaven. And we can only see horizontally. But you see a picture from way above. And there are things about the situation in our church and, and, and how the youth need to be provided for and taken care of that we don't understand and we don't see yet because we only see a certain perspective. But you know the whole thing. And God, you know our hearts and you know desperately that we want to see our youth provided for and taken care of. But we know that you are the Father who cares more than any of us. Our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. You are set apart. You are the one who, who is holy, who is just, whose motives are pure. I can't trust my own motives. Man, I might want to build a youth group here at the church because I want to have something thriving at the church so I can feel good about the fact that we have a great church. How do I know why I want a youth group? What I really need to know, what I really need is to depend on you because your motives are holy. Holy is your name. Set apart are you. God, what do you have in store for our church and the youth of this church? Holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. God, we want your kingdom to be working itself out, not just in our lives and not just in our church, but God, in the youth of this church, we want your kingdom to be working. We want your values, your, your holiness, your righteousness, your justice, your love, your power to be working in the teenagers in this church, God. We want your work to be happening not just at Parker Ford Church, but at Owen J. Roberts High School, God, at, at Pottstown High School, at Pottsgrove High School, at Springford High School, at Boyertown High School, God, at, at PV, God, we want you at work in those places. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in those areas. And we can't reach there, but you can. 
We don't know how to reach into every corner of, of the lives of these teenagers who we care about and, and to guide them along. We don't know how to do it all, but you do. And we know that your will is good. We know that what you want to accomplish is good. So God, give us today daily bread. I ask that today the youth of this church would be fed by this sermon. That today the youth of this church would be fed by parents who love them and care for them and guide them. And you would help the parents to have what they need to care for them today. God, we ask that today you would allow these teenagers who have to make decisions in their lives to know what it is that you have for them, to hear your voice, to see it in the scriptures, that today you give them your daily bread. And God, for all of us, lead us not into temptation. Because we are tempted to think that we are in charge and we are in control and we are the ones fully responsible. We don't want to just create some program in our church because we're not in control. We don't want to just force people to do things. We can't control. So lead us away from temptation where we believe that we're in charge. We trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to end by saying this, that Billy Graham... He'll be my last quote of the day. The good one to end on. He says that heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. Sometimes we ask all of the wrong things because we're only concerned about what we want. And so we never ask the right things because we're not getting on his page. And then other times we just don't ask at all. There's so much that God wants to do through our church and in each one of us. But we've got to ask. And when we ask, He teaches us how to pray. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.